All right, good morning, church family. Let's hear it for this awesome team that leads us in worship. They don't perform worship for you or for me. They give us an opportunity to join in on worship. We're here uh, not to just take, 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 right? Because the Lord is faithful and he is worthy and we want to worship him. And this awesome team up here gets to uh, lead us in that every single week. What a great job they're doing. Hey, we're starting a brand new series called Familia. We're talking about the family. We're talking about the family of God and how that translates into your home family. And so as you came in here today, you should have received a little, a little uh, form here, right? A little page that says family fun. Now there's all kinds of families, all shapes and sizes. Let's start with uh, the, the smallest family, single people. I would have you raise your hand, but then you'd look around <laughs> and you'd be like, I'm going to go talk to them. You're a family. You're a family. You get to do things with yourself and you also get to hang out with other people around you, which is your church family. So don't think that this doesn't apply to you. Grab somebody and say, hey, let's go bowling. Let's go get some ice cream. Really? Do you need to be told to get somebody to go get ice cream? Have some fun. Uh, young couples that are newly married, whether you're starting off in life or you're nearing heaven, um, you're, you're a married couple, then spend some time with you guys and do some family fun stuff. Uh, some families have young children. I would encourage you to grab those young kids and go do something fun. I'm telling you right now, I'm going to do something fun. And uh, there's a new creamery right here in Mogador you can go and do. There's other, we have a lot of ice cream options on here, by the way. You can go, like a whole section is dedicated to ice cream. Raise your hand if you like ice cream. Yeah, there you go. We should have had ice cream today. Next time, people, there's got to be an ice cream truck. And so this is an opportunity for you to grow together and to be able to spend time with each other. We're talking about the family, we're talking about the family and what that looks like. I'm going to be looking in John chapter 2. You can open your Bibles and start navigating your way to John chapter 2 uh, as we're going to look at a great celebration, and uh, we're going to talk through that here in just a moment. This new series is a five-week series we're going to walk through, and we'll talk uh, and look at some lessons that were learned by Jesus' followers in the early days of the church. Because, uh, learning, because we're learning how to be a part of God's family, it might actually help us understand how to be a part of our own families. In God's family, we enjoy life with each other. We support each other, pray for each other, reconcile with each other, and love each other. Now, if you say, well, I don't do those, well, guess what? Be here every week in July so you can learn how to do it because that's what the church looks like. So today we're jumping right into this idea of in God's family, we enjoy life together. And this word enjoy, we're talking about this idea that you love those moments, you relish in those moments, you appreciate, you delight, you take pleasure in those moments. Today's sermon title is A Tale of Two Gatherings. We're going to talk about two ways that the church spends time together. And again, that word enjoy is not always about fun, is it? But you can enjoy moments 
with each other. We're going to look at two stories. One is going to be at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, the time that he had his first miracle. And I have uh, some kiddos up here. They don't know it yet, but they're going to help me with that one. And then at the end of his ministry, he had more of a remembrance moment. And we're going to do that together, the celebrating and the remembering. So let's jump into John chapter 2 here. If I have any more kiddos that are out there that want to come up here and join me, I'm going to need your ability to blow bubbles here in just a second. So I want to invite you to come over here and sit right here on this teal blanket that's right in front of here. You can sit with these other kiddos. Come on over here. Find a seat. Sit here with Miss Tori and Miss Alexis Alexi. There you go. Come on down here, and she's going to give you those bubbles here in just a minute because we're going to talk about a wedding, a wedding feast. Jesus brought joy to a group of people at this wedding. He gave them a lavish gift. It's an incredible, wonderful gift that we need to understand what Jesus did here. He didn't just provide more wine. He gave them a very significant cultural gift, a symbol like no other. So let's take a look here. John chapter 2. I'm going to read for, through the first few verses here. So while they're getting themselves set up here, uh, and you guys listen to these verses, let's see what this was all about. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in, in Galilee. Now, Jesus' mother was there, uh, which is a very important note to keep in mind. Don't you always know when mom's around? Right? Jesus was there, but his mother was there too. That's <laughs> a big deal. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to celebrate. Now, at this time, there weren't 12 disciples that were hanging out. There was probably five. Andrew, Peter, Philip, Nathaniel. Nathaniel was the one that said, can anything good come from Nazareth? And then, of course, John the author. Weddings in this day could take up to seven days. Could you imagine having a wedding celebration? Now, I'll celebrate my birthday for seven days, but I don't know. How could you do a wedding for seven days? It was an incredible celebration. And did you know in the days of the Bible that they're, uh, that they're actually within their culture, the groom, the groom's family was responsible for paying for the wedding? And so some things have changed over the years, hadn't it? Now we'll spend maybe like uh, an afternoon for the wedding, and then you have like uh, your honeymoon. That could last a number of days or whatever. But this was an incredible, incredible wedding celebration. Then afterwards, there was a parade. There was a parade where a, the group of people, the friends and family, would uh, parade them down the road, and they would end, uh, go to their new house where they're going to be living. And so it was this huge celebration. There was no shame in the fact that this new couple was going to their new home and, uh, and, and being able to love each other the way that God has designed. Everybody knew what was going on. Amen? And it was okay. It was okay. It was a blessing, a wonderful blessing from God that, that, that the world has reframed as something that's not such a blessing. But God has said to Adam and Eve, right, go and fill the earth, man. And so we have the privilege of being able to be in a beautiful marriage uh, with our spouse. And so continuing on here. How many people love weddings? Raise your hand if you love weddings. I love me some weddings. I love officiating weddings. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Hey, guys, check this out. Did you know this about me? I love doing weddings outside of the building. 
I do. I love doing these unique weddings outside the building. Now, of course, I do weddings inside as well, but probably 85% of the weddings that I've ever done, officiated since 2010, have been outside or away from the church building. I've done a Halloween wedding. October 31st, we did a wedding there, and everybody was dressing up, and I said, Lord, I'd love to participate, but I, I'm asking that nothing violate my conscience, because there was some crazy stuff going on, and I dressed up. They had a makeup artist, two makeup artists working on me, on this side of my face and this side of my face, and dressed me up as a zombie preacher, and I stood there, and I talked about, and I did the wedding. Now, before you start throwing something at me because you think I'm a heretic, let me tell you the opportunity I had. I stood there before a group of people. Some dressed up, right, uh, as, as, as uh, the, the, the ladies were uh, fallen angels, like black, and the guys over here had these horns sticking out, and I stepped in this moment, and I declared the gospel. What an opportunity, standing in the midst of that, and I said, here it is, the dead in Christ will rise first, buddy, and we talked about that, and it was an opportunity. I had a four-minute wedding one time, four minutes. Uh, the, the bride came in from the barn and she was on a horse and she was riding in and I'm going, this is, a, this is like a Hallmark Disney crammed together beautiful princess moment. And we're all watching it. The skies kind of look like this guy right here. And she comes down, she dismounts off the horse and she comes walking down and, all, and, and you're looking and going, is this really happening? And then I felt the first drop hit me on the left ear. What is that? The cloud, out of nowhere, these clouds start rolling in. And within a minute from the time that they got in front of me, a torrential downpour on the family. So I'm trying to keep it together. Friends and family, as we gather, bride looked at me and said, can we just move along? <laughs> yes, ma'am, we can. Yes, we can. Do you? Sure. Do you? Yes. All right you're done. And then we moved on. I signed the marriage license and that was it. They were married. There was another bride that was there that watched that because I was doing her wedding too. She goes, you're not going to do that at my wedding, are you? I said, you're good. You're having it inside of a building. So we shouldn't have to worry about any of that. Weddings have been so fascinating to be a part of. I've been on a, a beach in Siesta Key, was it? I think it was the Siesta Key where we did, where we do Tiana's wedding. It was in Florida on a very hot beach. And I remember standing there and you have this beautiful scene of this ocean. And interestingly enough, like a, like a very, very uh, clear line, skies as blue as that, and over here as dark as can be. And I said, well, that's interesting. And there was no rain that day. We had a good celebration, but man, to fly all the way down there to be able to do a wedding. Weddings are a big deal. They're super fun and super celebratory. And here we have a time where they're doing this wedding. Now, verse three, the wine supply ran out during the festivities. What? That can't happen. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Hey, hey Jesus, just throwing it out there. They have no more wine. You see, wine was a symbol of joy. The bride's family, actually, it, it was such a big deal to have wine because wine was what they drank. I mean, in many parts, they didn't even have clean water. And so wine was what they had. And so if you ran out of wine at the wedding, the, listen to this. The bride's family could take the groom's family to court. 
and file legal charges against them. I'm just saying, make sure you have enough food at your reception or someone's going to court. They could actually bring up charges over this. This was a big, this wasn't just, oh, they ran out of something to drink. This was a big deal. Verse four, Jesus looks at his mom and he says, dear woman, that's not our problem. Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. Now, I know when you read that in our culture, you look at that and you go, ooh, Jesus, I don't know that I would have said it quite like that. Well, since he was the son of God, he definitely had it right. And also in the culture to say, dear woman, that was actually a very esteeming, a very proper honoring way to refer to his mom. Don't do that today. Don't do that to your wife. Hey, woman. No, no, we don't do that now. We don't talk about Bruno. So we, we're, we don't say that in this day and age. But Jesus was actually being very, it would be like saying, yes, ma'am. See the difference in the feel? Because our culture is okay with that. So yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir. And so that's what Jesus was saying here. So Jesus said, it's not our problem. Basically, you know, what, why do we have to, do, why, why are we doing anything about it? But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby, six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Now, you've got to take a moment to think about this giant pitcher that we're looking at. So 20 to 30 gallons of a stone pitcher. That's very significant. A stone pitcher. And they said, now fill this water up to the very, very top. Fill it up to the brim. In the ESV version, they say that send it to the brim. And the New Living Translation is just filled it up. But the point here is that it's at the very, very top. Why? Because there's no way for anybody to say that anything was added to this water. And so you couldn't have done that or you'd be able to see it overflow everywhere that it went. So, the, so they filled up the jars. When the jars were filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. It's so fascinating to me that he said, hey, fill the jars with water. When the jars were filled, now dip some out. While you're working, Jesus is working too. You may not see him do some sort of a, a big elaborate ninja thing where he goes, I'm going to do. If you're into Marvel, you know Doctor Strange does one of these things when he's manipulating time. Nobody watches that. Okay. And he's doing this little thing here. It was just a matter of fact. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to be loud to be right. It just has to be Jesus. And so he just did a thing. Fill it up. Who knows? Maybe they didn't even know it was changed when they were filling it up. But it was changed. They filled it up. They took it to the master of ceremonies, the one that was in charge of it all. And he was like, they took this little sip like that. He goes, wait a minute. Most people bring out the good wine first, and then they bring out the not so expensive stuff later after people have had a little bit. But you have saved the best for last. You have saved the best for this moment. And in that time, everybody in that culture, I know it doesn't mean much to us, but everybody would have looked at that family as, wow, you guys are a family of character, of integrity. This is amazing, fascinating. And everybody would have been honored in that moment. The opposite side, you're going to court because you ran out of wine. But Jesus did this elaborate, lavish gift to the, uh, to the bride and the groom. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first that Jesus revealed his glory. And it was a private miracle. Jesus could have gone, stood on the top of some big whatever and declared a big thing. 
But he did his first miracle in a private setting, a wedding celebration where a family and friends came together and they gathered around a table, kind of like that we're about to go to. This huge family table where we gather together to celebrate and enjoy. Now, kiddos, you need to grab one of these bubbles here. Grab one of these bubbles. Now, I have it on good authority that they did not have bubbles back in the day of Jesus. So they most likely did not do any bubble blowing. But you know as well as I do that whenever we used to throw rice, and then we started saving the birds. And so we stopped doing the rice, and then we started doing what? Blow some bubbles. Hey, guys. Hey, guys, let's pretend that a husband and a wife are coming out of here right now, and I want you to blow some bubbles. Can you do that? Show me some bubbles. One, two, three, go. Give me some bubbles. A great celebration of a church family, uh, friends, people coming together to do life together. You need to start doing life together. You need to celebrate together. You know those moments where you get good news and you say, I got to call somebody. Man, call me. I'll celebrate with you. Call somebody and, and say, listen, I, I need you to know this. I need you to hear this and just celebrate what that is. And this is what we do together. That's so great. Okay, now put that back in there and put the top back on. Good <laughs> and put them back in the bin there. That's our first story of a tale of two gatherings. A happy heart makes the face cheerful. If you're happy, let your face know. Can you do that so that other people can know? I'm, I'm, not, I'm not upset. Well, you look like you're going to throw punch me. So if you could just crack a smile every once in a while, perhaps you can let the world know that your heart is happy. And a joyful heart is truly good medicine. That's the fun. Here's the not so fun. Because we can celebrate pretty well. And we can join in and help. A lot of people set up those tables and chairs and decorations and food and everybody came together to help. And when the not so fun happens, we want to fix. And we don't know how to fix when somebody's in pain. And so we say silly things, or we avoid them, and we go away. But church family, I'm here to tell you that you should gather to celebrate and to grieve. A major element of our faith as a sacrament of believers is the idea of remembering what Jesus did for us on the cross. Whenever we say we come together to have a remembrance, you know what I'm thinking about, right? Maybe a memorial, a funeral, a sense of sadness and grieving. That's the feel that we're going into with this next story. Now, the word communion is defined as an act of sharing or holding in common participation. What is communion is uh, in a biblical sense? Well, it's uh, translated in the King James Version in the Greek word koinonia, which means a partnership or a fellowship. When we commune together, we gather together as a partnership, a real family but not just to have some bread and some juice, to actually remember what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has done for me. Communion is a time uh, to remember, a time to examine. The reason why uh, parents of these precious children, I have them up here, I'm gonna give you a time to sit there and examine for a moment. 
and we're going to talk while you examine, give you an opportunity to just think through what's going on inside of me that could be prohibiting me from having a full relationship with the Lord to the fullest. What does that look like? Communion is a time for a community, a time to remember what binds us all together. This is what binds us all together. And so I'm going to read to you Matthew chapter 26 here. And as I read, I just want you to think, take a moment and examine for yourself. You don't have to be a member of any church family to participate in a communion. You do need to be a part of the family of God. And if you say, well, I don't know that if I believe that, that's fine. Then you, I'm not, Nobody's forcing you, and I'll ask you, please don't take this communion time. But if you say, yeah, I believe this. I believe this Jesus. I believe this Savior. I believe that he came. God came in the form of man. He died on a cross for our sins because I'm a sinner. And then, and then he stayed in this tomb for three days and then rose again, conquering death. And then he left and he said, I'm coming back again to get you. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that that is true? Then today's an opportunity for you to remember that moment. And as I read this, I want you to be thinking about what this means. Miss Eve, can you come here and help me for a second? I want you to stand there and hold it just like this and put your fingers on the sides, okay, so I can read, okay? Can you do that for me? While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it. And gave some to his disciples. I think all too often we forget because of the wafers we use. No offense to wafers. We forget the picture. Jesus picked up some bread and here's what he did. He says, this is my body. Whew. That was pretty cool. Which was broken. It's given to you. It's given to you. And when you eat this, I want you to remember. So take and eat. This is my body. This is a symbol of my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all. For this is my blood, a symbol of my blood. That is my covenant to you. It's not a commitment, a promise. It's a covenant. A covenant is a very big deal. It's such a big deal. Let me explain what a covenant would have been back in the day. Two people making a covenant together would take an animal, a spotless animal, and they would cut the animal down the center of the animal and lay it down out in two sides. And then what would happen is that the people making the covenant would walk down the center saying that we will keep this covenant or else that will happen to us. You better read your Old Testament, buddy. I'm telling you, it's in there. A covenant is a big deal. And Jesus says, this is my covenant to you. I am with you all the way till the end. So when you do this simple, ordinary thing, I'm turning it into something extraordinary. And he broke it and he passed it. And he broke it and he passed it. And the disciples broke it together and they passed this bread. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit, of this vine, from now until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, after singing a hymn, 
they went out to the Mount of Olives. I always wondered what hymn that was. If you uh, research the traditions, they probably sang Psalm 115 to 118. You could read Psalm 118 to, uh, 115 to 118 and have a moment of remembering, wow, this is what Jesus could have sang. What an opportunity. There's your homework. Psalm 115 to 118. Go home and read through what that is. All right. Here's what we're going to do. Are you guys ready? I need you to hurry back to your parents for a moment. Hurry back to your parents. There you go. Grab on there. As they're heading back to you, I'm going to read a prayer. And then I'm going to invite you to a table that represents both celebration and remembrance. Bread, just like I had here, is already on the table for you. And there's juice there as well. I invite you to take one of the already broken pieces out of the basket and dip the bread in that juice. And then take it in remembrance as a family. So in just a moment, I'm going to send you over there. And then we're going to do it all together. So you'll find a seat, sit down, and you'll wait for me. But in this moment, let's just pray together over this meal. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your, your beloved children, having received you into our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness. The price you paid covered us for all time, and now our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who receive you. We can't begin to fathom the agonizing suffering of your crucifixion, yet you took that pain for us. You died for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor, your lavish gift. Thank you for your death that gave us life, abundant life now and eternal life forever. As you instructed your disciples, we too receive this bread in remembrance of you. We ask your blessing upon this sacrament, and in the same way as we take this cup representing your blood, poured out from the, the splintering, uh, poured out from a splintering cross, we realize that you were the supreme sacrifice for all our sin, past, present, and future. Because of your blood shed for us and your body broken for us, we can be free from the power and the penalty of sin. Thank you for your victory over death. And, and today we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us. In Jesus' name we all say, amen.